Yet another edition of Two Middle-Aged Men in Cleveland, episode 72, which we'll dedicate to the very famous Jerry Shirk. Do you remember Jerry Shirk? Oh, of course I do. It's defensive lineman for, uh, for our Cleveland Browns. He's one of the notable names I remember from, uh, from those days. He, was, uh, he played in the 80s, correct? Wasn't he? Yeah, he was an 80s player. Oh, yeah. 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 So great stuff. We're ready to kick it off. I can't believe we've done 72 of these. We got a huge show today. I'm going to at the end of the show today, I'd like to talk about the uh, Danny Repepe concert that I went to uh, last week, which was absolutely awesome. We'll give you some description on that. But I believe you have some interesting topics to talk about as we start the show. Well, we have the 31st annual IG Nobel Prize ceremony that was held last week. This particular ceremony uh, honors scientists for their work in weird, funny, and ultimately intriguing science. So I figured I'd just uh, mention some of these awards. This can't fit better with our show. Yeah, right, right, right. Maybe we should try to get some of these scientists on. I don't know. That would be a good idea, actually. Biology Prize for the analysis of communication between humans and cats. The scientists involved here have spent years exploring the hypothesis that cats change their vocalizations somewhat deliberately to communicate different information in different situations. You have cats at home. Do you, were you part of this study? No. Okay. No, no. Very cool. I know the one cat can tell who walks in the door because if I walk in the cat's okay. If my oldest son comes in, he is gone like the wind. (laughs) Oh yeah. He's scaredy cat. I call him, I call him Bigfoot. I say I have a Bigfoot sighting. (laughs) Ecology prize group collected used chewing gum from pavements around the world. They used genetic analysis to identify the bacteria in them. This could be useful for forensics or disease control. How do you come up with that? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I suppose that could be, you know, it's a good Possibly. idea, actually. Yeah, good idea, but you know, how do you get how do you get there from you know? I wonder if chewing gum would help. Not sure on that one. Chemistry prize. Scientists tested the air inside movie theaters to see whether gases emitted by the audience would indicate what kind of content was being shown. Is it a horror movie? Is it a huh. adventure? Is it a romance? Whatever. I don't know what you would do with that information, <laughs> but that's uh, what yeah. would you do with the yeah. yeah. That's, I, I mean, I that's interesting. Yeah. All right. <laughs> what would well, you do with this information? <laughs> I don't know. You know, it's uh, it stinks in here. It must be a horror yeah. movie. I don't know. Yeah. Oh boy. Economics prize. A guy discovered a potential correlation between obesity and politicians. And the level of corruption in the countries they supposedly serve. He did note, importantly, that this does not imply that individual fat politicians are more corrupt than slim ones. So, okay, there we go. The fatter means the more corrupt. That's not what we're. Fair enough. Not what he's saying. I don't know. Again, what you? Yeah. I don't know how you study that. That's that's yeah. crazy. This group explored for the Peace Prize. They, they explored the hypothesis that humans evolved facial hair as protection from getting 
socked in the jaw. Okay. Seems that skin covered with thick hair absorbs more kinetic energy than shaved skin, though luxurious beards still don't replace chin guards. I wonder That's if that should, should maybe a UFC fighter should start growing beards. It's like we're thinking on the same pattern here. I was just going to say there are quite a bit of UFC guys that have a beard. Yeah. Not yeah. the women, but the men. Well, so. thank you. Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, physics prize. A group ran experiments to find out why pedestrians don't collide with each other all the time. And then the kinetics prize. Those same scientists ran experiments to figure out why pedestrians do collide with each other some of the time. Wow. Okay. I, I can answer both of those. Okay. If they don't collide, they're not on the phone. If they do, they are. Oh, there you go. That's, That's a really it. good answer. That's yep. a great answer. Entomology prize. Investigators studied a new method of killing cockroaches on submarines. That is a big problem. Yeah. 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 Yep. So maybe they can then bring that ashore. Yeah. <clears throat> And, and finally, the transportation prize was awarded to a group to, for research on whether suspending sedated rhinos upside down in the air by their feet is worse for them than a more horizontal configuration. It's actually slightly better for them, the study found. That's good news considering how many rhinos conservationists have transported like this. I had no idea. Did you know that rhinos are transported upside down? Hanging no. Upside down? That doesn't, I don't know. That's, that's, I want to know. I want to know who came up with that's a good idea to do to start with. Well, I agree. And then who's actually going to be the one that's going to be sedating the rhinos? I don't yeah. think you or I want that job. No, no, thank you. Yeah. Let's slip a little something in their food. Yeah. Well, that's the uh, 31st annual uh, Nobel Prize winners. So uh, some interesting science there. Certainly was. That was yeah. that was good stuff. Thank you for finding that. That's, that's absolutely. All right. Now, as if that isn't enough, we have more nonsense on this show. We have good news about carbon emissions. We're going to tell you about it. And oddly enough, the good news segment. This week in Cleveland sports, well, we know the Indians of 2021 can't hit. We're going to tell you about a no-hitter by another Cleveland team, the old Forest City Club. This week's overachievers could be called stoners. We're going to explain that. And this week in Cleveland history, we remember a Beatles concert in town. We have another item available. Ken is ready, and you can really buy this. Klopp's Clips, a vaccine mandate at a college, has some heads shaking. And we will visit with Chris Salata. He's part of the group that recently purchased Cleveland's IX Center. We're going to find out what the plans are for that facility. All that and more coming up. And now, a woman's perspective. Why do men like smart women? It's simple. Opposites attract. This has been a woman's perspective. Ted, as you always enjoy, we do have some good news. Mm. The Orca factory in Iceland 
has started up the world's largest factory with the sole purpose of pulling carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. Wow. Wow. Potentially climate change solution takes CO2 from the air, separates the carbon from the oxygen, mixes it with water and sends it deep underground into basalt rock, you think? Uh, sure, you know. I'm going to go with that. <laughs> Sorry. We did not win any Ing Nobel Peace Prizes, so we may miss no. some of this stuff. So we're going to go underground into basalt rock formations yeah. where it mineralizes. The company says it can pull 4,000 tons of CO2 out of the atmosphere every year. That's the equivalent of taking 870 cars off the road. Holy cow. Wow. That's awesome. That's a lot of that's a lot of CO2. Well, we got to do some climate change stuff, and this is certainly a way to do that. So hats off to the uh, Orca factory for getting this done. Let's be yeah. honest. Yeah, and Iceland. Iceland on the cutting edge. Yes. I don't think we say that very often. No, but we do here. Well, it's good news. Cleveland! This is for you! Time for another This Week in Cleveland Sports, September 13th, 1883. Remember it like it was yesterday. Hugh Daly, a one-armed pitcher for Cleveland, the Forest City team, tosses a one nothing no-hitter against Philadelphia. So we are joined by our Cleveland sports historian, Dusty Sloan. Dusty, what can you tell us about Hugh Daly and uh, this particular game? Well, Hugh Daly is a very intriguing story. 6'2", 180 pounds. Obviously, he only had one arm, and the reports about how that came to be are kind of scattered. Obviously, this is the late 1800s, so the reporting obviously wasn't very good. But the season before, he was a 34-year-old rookie. So you're talking about a guy who is 35 years old, hadn't pitched the major leagues very long, played in Sandlot and semi-pro leagues, comes out and throws a no-hitter in 1883 for the Cleveland Ball Club. And the interesting thing, another interesting thing about this box score that I'm seeing is, obviously we're used to now in baseball where the home team just always bats second. That's standard procedure. Well, I'm looking at this box score and it, said, and it has an asterisk and it says, the coin toss was won by Cleveland and the home team batted first. So <laughs> apparently back in the day, you flipped a coin to see who was batting first. Wow. That's interesting. This is a great story, Dusty, just because I don't know why th this is so coincidental. So, but recently, obviously, just going through some things on social media and someone showed the game where Jim Abbott, and I think people remember that name, where he pitched a no hitter when he was pitching for the Yankees. Yeah. So obviously, Hugh Daly was one of those guys that certainly was one of the first to do that. And uh, that's just a, a great story. I had no idea. I have heard of Hugh Daly. I didn't know he played for, for Cleveland and obviously Forest City. I, I didn't even realize that that was one of their nicknames at what, one point in time. Yeah, and, and going back to Jim Abbott, obviously with Hugh Daly not having an arm, a little different than Jim Abbott not having his right hand, but Jim Abbott, obviously, as you mentioned, I remember it too, no hitting the Cleveland Indians, <laughs> which, which which he he could probably no hit the Indians right now the way they're going in 2021. I but I think uh, I can. But uh, Jim Abbott was a fantastic pitcher for a long time. I don't hold it against him that he pitched for the University of Michigan, but I always <laughs> liked him growing up because he was left-handed and overcame that obvious disability that, that that he was born with and did a fantastic job. And 
Hugh Daly, like we said, is a little different than the fact that he didn't have an arm, which make what's just completely adds to the degree of difficulty and the fact that he was 35 when he did it. Pretty amazing stuff. All right, uh, Dusty, thank you very much. Uh, story of Hugh Daly from 1883 for another This Week in Cleveland Sports. Cleveland! This is for you! Dead overachievers, as always. I know you enjoy these. And guess what? It does involve a Guinness Book of World Records. No way! Unbelievable, I know. Well, Texas Par Park Rock Art Trail. That's a lot to say, by the way. Say that five times fast. I'm not going to do it well. It was started as a pandemic project, but now it's the Guinness Book of World Records, the Texas Par Park Rock Art Trail. Hmm. The rock art started by Ron Olson and Chris Penny features 24,459 painted stones. Holy hmm. cow. That gives the record for the largest display of painted pebbles, breaking the old record of 8,542 set in July of 2019. Hmm. The organizers say some people who heard about the project sent rocks from around the world to be part of the display. That's really cool. Yeah. I, I think that's neat. Yeah. We'll have to show some pictures on Twitter. And yeah, we'll Instagram put some pictures that. up of that. But uh, I, who, who, who's at the Guinness World Record headquarters saying, let's have an award for largest display of painted pebbles? I, I don't know. I, I guess we're going to have to have a segment at some point in time we with just craziest Guinness Book of World yeah. Records. Because there seems like every week on this, obviously with the overachievers, we hear about a different one that you and I didn't know about. But I, I want to know some of these other ones. Very, I want to know if we maybe we could go for the record for unpainted pebbles, largest display. Oh, just painted. just find a bunch of pebbles. Yeah, maybe from Lake Erie. Yeah, or why not? Like and, you know, yeah. line them up. Put My them kids could help with that. They're good at that stuff. Oh, we could get a lot of people involved. With yeah, that. yeah. Break the record. All right, another oh. overachiever. Blah 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 Our guest has been the chief operating officer at industrial commercial properties for the past three years, which is headquartered in Cleveland, Ohio. Our guest is a graduate of the University of Notre Dame and the Case Western Reserve University School of Law. Our guest is in the Midwest Real Estate Hall of Fame and was named in Cranes Cleveland's Business 40 under 40 as one of the top professionals in Cleveland. He's also received a CYO Recognition Award and was recently named the head basketball coach at Benedictine High School. Let's talk with Chris Salata. Chris, thanks so much for taking time with us. We appreciate it. You got it, Ken. Great to be with you and Ted this morning. Chris, our first question. Please talk about industrial commercial properties. How did you get started and what type of business is ICP involved in? Yep, ICP is a 25-year-old real estate development firm. We're headquartered here in Solon, Ohio. Uh, our founder, Chris Samarjan, came up through the business as an industrial real estate broker and uh, started buying his first property, uh, first properties back in 1996. And since then, we've accumulated uh, north of 44 million square feet of industrial and commercial office space throughout the Midwest. We've got 150 buildings. We operate in five states. Um, we've got 350 tenants, um, and we've been extremely active over the last three to four years, particularly here in Northeast Ohio. So it's been, it's been a 
It's been a great move for me. Uh, I actually go way back with Chris. When I was first out of law school, I was a, a young associate at McDonald Hopkins downtown Cleveland, and I was working on some of Chris's first deals as a, as a young lawyer. Oh, so wow. uh, got got a lot of That's history awesome. with with Chris. It's been a great move. So, Chris, recently uh, ICP announced that it's purchased the IX Center. I know a lot of folks when uh, the announcement came that the IX Center was closing. Uh, we're disappointed because of the unique space that it is and uh, the location that it is. So ICP has purchased it. Can you talk about what the plans are for the IX Center and what the process for a transaction like this to take place is, how that all works? Yeah, so uh, great, great questions. Terrific property. Uh, we're, we're extremely excited to be involved with it with our partners at Industrial Realty Group. Um as everybody knows, I mean, you, you can't find 2.2 million square feet of industrial space uh, in the Northeast Ohio market on every corner. So it's been one that we've had our eyes on for three to four years. We've had on and off conversations with uh, Ray Park and his family who've done a terrific job of developing that property and operating it for, for decades. Uh, we're extremely proud to be associated with it, Ted. We're, we are going to uh, bring back the expo shows, uh, hopefully as early as, as Christmas this year. But those shows will probably only occupy about 400,000 to 500,000 square feet of that facility. So as many people know, Gojo is in there right now and a big chunk of that warehouse space. But um, we, we see um, further industrial use, um, logistics, distribution, aviation, perhaps, just given its, um, its location right next to Hopkins. And there's 160 acres there to develop. So our timing, I think, is really good um, in connection with the city of Cleveland's master plan for the airport and the, and the redevelopment of the airport. We think that what we can do on that site in conjunction with what uh, the city has planned for the northern half of the airport uh, could really make it a special place. So we're, we're extremely excited. We're getting to work right away, um, but it's, it's a big task. So it's, uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a little while, but we're, we're excited to kick it off. That's great news, Chris. Kind of going along with that same subject, obviously in the last two years, things have been a little bit different just for many different reasons. Have you seen an increase in more buildings and land being available for purchase in Cleveland than you've seen before? I have, especially on the industrial side, Ken. Um, right now, um, you know, we're, we're industrial food group is kind of the bell at the ball, just given given everything that took place with the pandemic, um, the, the amount of um, citizens that kind of tried online shopping for the first time ever. Um, you can get everything delivered these days, including your groceries. And all that's done is just increased demand for uh, warehouse logistics and industrial space. So right now, if you're a user, if you're a 100,000 square foot user in Northeast Ohio, you can count on one hand the number of options that you have in our market. So as a result, you've seen a ton of new ground up um, projects uh, commence. Uh, we're working on a half dozen ourselves. Um, and I think you're gonna see that trend continue. I think, we're, I think we're in the midst of a little bit of an industrial revolution right now. And uh, you're gonna see a lot of manufacturing come back to the States as a result of the issues we've had uh, on the supply chain side and with China. And I think that's only gonna help the manufacturing uh, and uh, warehousing business here in the United States. Now, Chris, when you're not uh, guiding the purchase of uh, 2.2 million acre, uh, uh, 2.2 million feet of uh, exhibit space and various other industrial uh, uh, realty projects, you 
apparently uh, do some coaching. And uh, not to take that lightly, you've been named the head basketball coach at Benedictine. Can you talk, first of all, congratulations. And talk about, uh, talk about coaching and how you came to be in this uh, prestigious position. Yeah, I appreciate that, Ted. You know, I, I, I've been coaching for 25 years. It's, it's really become a, a passion of mine. Um, you know, a lot of people, they, they drive cars, they, they play golf. Um, in my spare time, I like to coach. And whether that's coaching my kids in anything that they're playing um, or, or basketball. You know, Ken and I were actually high school uh, teammates of St. Ignatius. And my junior year, I, I tore my ACL playing football. And that winter, I wasn't able to play hoops. And so I coached my brother's fourth grade basketball team at Jesus School in University Heights. And I think I've been a coach ever since. And um, so I spent six great years at, at my alma mater and Ken's alma mater at Ignatius coaching there. Uh, the last two seasons, I've been a varsity assistant at Hawken School out in Gates Mills. And um, had the opportunity to pursue the uh, the head coaching position at, at Benedictine and and provided me some flexibility with with my job that I was able to take advantage of and I'm extremely excited it's it's such a such a unique position it's a terrific school it's got a great administration it's got a relatively um, new president there um, and who's who's got a great vision for the future and uh, it's a very tradition rich basketball program so I'm excited to be in that position and already starting to work with the kids and having a, having a blast. Chris, that's awesome. Just so you know, there's another guy on this same podcast, Ted Klopp. He's also Ignatius alum. So all, right, all the good people that are listening could probably yeah. say, gosh, I'm so sorry to talk to <laughs> these Ignatius guys are hearing from these guys. Yeah. So, Wildcats. That's right. So I have, a, I have a different question for you, Chris. So being middle-aged men, we are getting older. I hate to say it, but it is happening. One thing that's very key with many different people as I talk to them is having a good balance in one's life. You know, certainly that's being very key. Now you're a CEO of a company, you're, you're a basketball coach, you spend time, you mentioned spending time with your kids and coaching. How do you balance your professional and personal life? How do you do that? Uh, I like to tell people I sleep, you, you can sleep when you're dead, right? Um, you, know, you, only, <laughs> you only have, I, you know, I, the way I approach it, Ken, is, um, get busy living or get busy dying. Right. And so you only have so many, so many opportunities to do the things that you love. And, um, you know, when I was faced with, uh, the opportunity, when, when I was offered the position at Benedictine, there was a, there was a lot of back and forth amongst me and, and my family and, and my closest friends as to whether or not it was something I should do. And at the end of the day, you know, I'm passionate about real estate. I'm passionate about our company and our people here at, at ICP, but I'm also passionate about working with young kids in the game of basketball. And so I was able to find a way to make them both work. I've made it work for 25 years of my professional career. Um, and I have the support of my family to do it. And uh, so it's, it's one of those things where you just got to do what you love and do it as long as you possibly can um, before, you know, father time and <laughs> everything else comes into play and changes that for you. So I've always taken that approach in, in whatever I'm doing. So stay being busy is, is better than being bored. That's great. Well, advice. So- great advice. Well, Chris, if somebody wants to learn more about industrial commercial properties, or if they want to follow the Benedictine Bengal uh, basketball team, uh, what are, how, how would they uh, go about doing either or both of those things? Yeah, on the ICP side, you can visit our website, which is www.icpllc.com. Um, you can you can get a good look at, at our portfolio, which, as I said, includes a ton of really exciting high profile projects here in, in Cleveland, including 
the IX centers we talked about uh, we're in the process of redeveloping Geauga Lake. Uh, also at this point in time, another exciting project. Um, and then on the basketball side, Benedictine's website um, is uh, cbhs.edu and there's a link to the athletics page there. We're also, the basketball program's also on uh, social media on both Instagram and Twitter. If you search Benedictine basketball, you'll find, find our social media accounts there. So lots of ways to keep up with the Bengals. Chris, absolutely great stuff. Absolute pleasure to have you on today. Congratulations with everything that's going on with the ICP and your involvement. It's tough for me to say this. Obviously, you got two other Ignatius grads on here, you right. being Ignatius grad, but we wish you the best with the Bengals this year in your basketball season. I know you guys will be successful. You're a great coach, and I know you're going to do very well. So congratulations, the best of luck. Really appreciate it, guys. Best of luck with the podcast. Um, I'll look forward to following it and, um, and staying in touch. I know this is one of your favorite segments and I always try to involve you to keep you on the cutting edge of things that you can really buy. Okay. Previously, we updated people on coyote urine, which I know is a fan favorite. <laughs> and then how to save your fingers from getting greasy when you're yeah. eating chips. Yes. Today, we're going to get you ready for a much needed getaway, Ted. I know you oh. and Erica can use it. Yeah. I found the romantic place for you and Erica to stay for a romantic getaway. It is in St. Lucia in the Caribbean. It is called Lover's Deep Luxury Submarine Hotel. Okay? Oh, boy. Now, it's not the same type of experience you'd expect from some of the other hotels, and it requires you to go underwater in a submarine. Oh. However, if you want to combine a night away with an experience, then perhaps for you and Erica, this is the hotel for you. Does the description have the phrase ocean motion? In it does not, but okay. you can add that, I imagine. Okay. The Submarine Hotel, as I mentioned, is located in St. Lucia and can be navigated around the Caribbean to suit its guests' requirements. You get five-star accommodation. I know that's the only way you like to stay. Beneath the waves, which includes your own captain, private chef, and butler, okay. speedboat transfers to and from the submarine, and some additional options as well. I know you would enjoy a helicopter transfer. That'd be oh, one of your favorite oh, things. Yeah. Beach landings. I know you like that. And champagne-soaked breakfasts. I know that's one of your fan favorites, too. Champagne-soaked breakfast. Yep. Okay. The Lover's Deep submarine is fully equipped with the ultimate in luxury, and it's everything you'd want from the experience like this. I know Erica would really enjoy this. Furthermore, you have the option to modify, modify your voyage to suit your own preference, if you wish. If you prefer a particular location to another, the captain will follow your commands. So maybe you could take that submarine from the Caribbean, maybe come to Lake Erie. I don't yeah. know. Maybe you could right. find a way to do that. I want a window seat. Yeah, you deserve a window seat. Yeah. This would truly be an experience of a lifetime and one you would never forget. I know Erica will love you forever for this. <laughs> Staying in the most expensive hotel in the world at $150,000 a night. The Whoa. Lover's Deep Luxury sub Submarine Hotel is the most expensive hotel in the world. Do you have some reviews? I actually don't. Oh. No reviews. Okay. I, I don't want you to be pointed either way. Okay. I just want you guys to have a very romantic night, a couple nights in the submarine in St. Lucia. So I did not go with reviews. Okay. So that you not, All right. not you know, certainly. In a related story, $150,000 a night, uh, gofundme.com slash Ted Klopp. Yes. 
is the place to go to donate and uh, we'll see how far that gets and how many nights we can stay on that sub. And I, I thought with reviews, you can give us the reviews. Yes, That's I, what will, I, thought. I will. You and Erica. Yes. Once we raise enough money, we'll get that going. So, yeah. Ted, I got, I obviously I found a, a very romantic thing for the two of you. I know how much you would enjoy staying in a submarine underwater for a couple days. I know that'd be amazing for you. And uh, you know what? It's amazing, but uh, this is something you can really buy. Another misspeak of the week. Guess who's involved with the misspeak of the week? I want you to take a wild guess on this. Uh, well, if past performance is indicative of future events, I'll go with Joe Biden for 100, Alex. You are a winner. Well, the president was speaking in Queens, New York last week, talking about climate change as he toured areas hit hard by Hurricane Ida. But it was when he was going to recognize some members of his response team that things went a bit awry. The group I have standing with me, led by Chuck Schumer, and your Congresswoman, is this your district? <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh, is this your district? Is it- <laughs> that's like when you interview somebody, and I think you remember these days, when you'd interview somebody when you first started interviewing them, and you'd have this whole thing, and I'd like to introduce... What is your name? Yes. Tom. Oh, Tom. Uh, Yes. Thank you. Well, Ashland University fans will remember the young man by the name of Brandon Foth, who went to interview the legendary coach Fred Martinelli at halftime. And he began the interview by saying, with me now, Eagle Head coach. I'm sorry, coach, your name. He's only but in the College Football Hall of Fame. You know, I mean, it's kind of a big deal. I I don't understand why the president's uh, handlers don't Give them, you know, hey, by the way, this is Congressman Smith's area or whoever. It's like they just set him up to fail. I don't understand this. That's what seems like all these are. I mean, get the guy a prompter or a little set of cards. I mean, let's be honest. He's dealing with so many different people with so many different names. I'm not surprised he's forgetting names. Yeah. It's so hard not to put these on here as the misspeak of the week just because it's hilarious. <laughs> is this your district? I mean, come well, there oh, you go. Oh. Our friend Joe with another. This speak of the week. Another this week in Cleveland history. We go to September 15th, 1964. Very famous group. I think everyone's going to know this group. The Beatles <laughs> play at public auditorium in Cleveland. We have our Cleveland historian, John Grabowski and John. First and foremost, do you remember this concert? And perhaps did you even have the opportunity to attend? I I vaguely remember it. Um, I wasn't into the Beatles at this time. uh, So don't tell everybody that. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it's uh, it was that point. I was just getting out of uh, going into junior high to high school. And the music was all around at that point. It was beginning to come on because, you know, you know, the Beatles have been big in Europe uh, in 63, and then when they came over to the States in 64 and hit Ed Sullivan, they just became unbelievable. I think the uh, the audience for the Sullivan broadcast, the Beatles, was 70 million people, 20 oh, million households. That is uh, just unbelievable. Uh, that's more than Elvis Presley got, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, John, uh, this concert at Public Auditorium, I mean, having the Beatles in Cleveland – had to be a, a huge uh, deal in Cleveland at the time, yeah? 
Yeah, yeah, it was in more than one way. I, I mean, it, it attracted almost the entire cadre of what I would call boomer youth at that point uh, to went out there. I mean, they were such a phenomena. Uh, you know, one article on this indicates that, you know, after Kennedy's assassination the previous year, that the Beatles were sort of a balm or some way to lose yourself in something different. And, uh, and you know, I, if, you, if you look at the, the, the history of this, when they came in, they stayed at the Sheraton Hotel, which is now the Renaissance Hotel, and it had to be surrounded. I mean, they're surrounded by, uh, by fans all the time. There, there were lady fans trying to get in to see the Beatles, one woman <laughs> apparently faked fainting so she could be carried inside and might get to see them. Uh, it, it was a phenomenon. And then when they went to public auditorium, they, the police had to put up decoy buses so people wouldn't follow them. It, it was like a military operation. Uh, I got it you. is. Yeah. It, it's probably one of the most notorious concerts in Cleveland as well. I would say. And, and speaking of public auditorium, which obviously many people know about, do you think that's one of the biggest events that's ever w was hosted at that facility, in your opinion? Uh, well, you, you could look at the two Republican conventions uh, that would have been there uh, in the 1920s and 1930s. And then, uh, you know, the Metropolitan Opera used to tour all the time and uh, it played there and it would play to a largely full house. Wow. As one one of the uh, one of the tenors said when he came out on stage and looked at the facility, he said, "Immense, so it was huge." <laughs> so, so this is kind of an interesting mixture here. This this is 1960s rock and roll, popular music in a site that was traditionally for conventions and traditionally for you know the ultimate music of of the nation, if you will, at that point, which was fine opera. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. And, and, and the chaos didn't stop there. It just got worse. <laughs> they, they had about 100 police uh, between the audience and, and, the, uh, and the, uh, the Fab Four, so to speak. And the police didn't really expect anything. So when they started playing, the police turned and watched the Fab Four and the audience began to go crazy and crushed up against them. And they had to, st they had to stop the concert. And uh, wow. it was the first time I think... I don't know if it was Lennon or Harrison said it's the first concert they ever had interrupted. Uh, and, and then they had to come back out and, and continue the concert. So it was, it was mayhem, bedlam, uh, joy, whatever you want to say. It was, uh, it was really rock and roll, if you will. Wow. Well, John, great memories. Thank you so much for your time as we uh, commiserate on uh, the Beatles. Once again, playing in Cleveland at Public Auditorium from uh, September 15th, 1964. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. My pleasure. The most trusted name in journalism, Klops Clips. Ken, are you ready? It is time. Oh, here let's we do it, man. This is news you need to, need to know. North Olmsted, Ohio. Two women stopped in a store parking lot at a Walmart, accused of shoplifting. Okay. Walmart asset protection officer said he saw both women go through a self-checkout lane and deliberately not scan several items. One of the suspects had just finished her first day at work on the uh, job at the Walmart. Oh. The temporary employee. Oh, man. How about that one? Well, she just kind of searched it out and, well, yeah. I like this. I'll just see if I can get it. 
Yeah. Oh, boy. The employee discount of sorts. Yeah. <laughs> Illinois State Police reuniting a unique lost item with its owner at the state fair. Somebody found a set of dentures. <laughs> set of dentures. Turned them in. Police eventually found the owner of the misplaced chompers and re- returned them. Is that one of those where you go in the PA system? Uh, attention, folks. We found this set of dentures. If anyone has found this, please come to the office. Is that how that went, you think? If you're missing your teeth, please come to Building 4. Oh. Now, of course, if that happens in some areas of the country, you have a line outside, but that's a whole... <laughs> yeah. A British woman unpacking after a trip to Barbados discovered an extra traveler in her bra. Oh, boy. It was in her suitcase. A tiny gecko had survived the trip. The surprised woman noted that the gecko must have been in her bra and in her suitcase for 24 hours during the 4,000-mile journey. A woman named the lizard Barbie. It is now in the care of a reptile specialist. Well, that's good. Yeah. I'm happy to hear that. Barbie is now safe. Check your brassiers for geckos. Wow. Yeah. That's, never thought I'd have that with those. No, you don't usually hear that very hour. often. A Sioux, City, a Sioux Falls, South Dakota man facing burglary charges. He was caught in a bar that was closed. <laughs> they say they found the 53-year-old walking around the bar having a beer around 530. A motion alarm. In the bar, triggered the cops. Maybe he's confused. He thought it was just self-serve. That's probably what he thought. If you can get in, you could serve yourself some beer. I want to try, but you put the game on on screen four. (laughs) A New Jersey college student says he's barred from taking classes at Rutgers because he isn't vaccinated. Okay. So far, no problem. Yep. Makes sense, right? Yep. Twenty-two-year-old Logan Holler. Says he wasn't worried about the vaccine mandate from the school because, well, he's taking all his classes virtually from home. Okay. He got locked out of his school email when he tried to pay tuition, and he's told he needs to be vaccinated, even if he doesn't plan to attend classes in person. Hmm. This is really confusing. Okay. He's been missing classes since September 1st. Says the school told him it could be weeks before they decide if he'll be given an exemption on the vaccine mandate. He says he knows of at least one other student in a similar situation and believes he'll probably have to transfer. Holler's stepfather says, quote, I believe in science. I believe in vaccines. But I'm highly confident that COVID-19 and variants do not travel through computer (laughs) monitors by taking online classes. That's... That's a pretty good statement by the uh, by the stepfather. That is yeah. really, I mean, I know we, this is always a, kind of a you know fun segment for us, but on a serious note, that's a really interesting conversation. I mean, I know there's many different college kids, my stepson being one, who takes classes at a university, and you know most of his stuff's online. So I wonder sure. what that situation is. I guess we're going to have to talk to someone and say, okay, yeah. if you're going to a university. But you opt in not to be on the campus. Do you have to get vaccinated? That's that's a really you good would, conversation. You would think, with a significant segment of the population not wanting to take the vaccine for whatever reason, yeah. Well, if they make that choice and then they say, "I'll take them online," 
what, I don't understand what the problem is. Yeah, I guess the only issue would be is if, if he was living on campus. You know, if he's living yeah. on campus and still going to dining, I guess you'd still require that. But if he's living at home with his parents or whoever and he's away from the school, yeah, it's, it's a very interesting conversation. Wow. Well, uh, at this point, maybe we should mandate that everybody who listens to two middle-aged men in Cleveland be vaccinated. Absolutely. Yes. I like that. Make yeah. sure you're, you're safe so that COVID-19 doesn't go through that computer monitor oh. or, or your speakers. Y- so. Your iPod. I don't know your if it's still around, but yeah. There you go. Another collection of Klopp's clips. Oh, no, not a dad joke. Which is faster, hot or cold? Hot hot or cold? Uh, I don't know. Hot because you can catch a cold. That joke was horrible. All right, Ken, putting a bow on the Jerry Shirk episode, number 72. And I know you mentioned at the top of the show, you attended the Danny Rapepi Memorial Concert. I, unfortunately, uh, was unable to attend, but I hear that it was a crowded uh, and enjoyable time. Uh, A good crowd and uh, obviously uh, a good celebration. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. Uh, over 3000 people attended, which was really impressive. It always helps to have beautiful weather, but uh, <laughs> I've not been to the Nautica Jacobs Pavilion before, but really a cool venue. You get a great landscape of downtown Cleveland right in the background and all that. And in the it's been a long time since I've been to a concert, let's be honest, for many different reasons. But it was really cool. High voltage was outstanding. The ACDC uh, tribute band, Boku, who we'll have to talk about it at some point in time. There's a lot of connections with Cleveland with Boku and they actually have a couple different songs that really, really were are excellent. Um, they, they were outstanding. And then obviously night Ranger, who's, you know, that's a primetime group. They were great. And they incorporated stuff with, with Danny himself and put some pictures up. I think the part for me, that was probably the most moving. They had, the Cleveland police bagpipers there that played Ooh. right after Boku and right before Night Ranger played, which was a surprise to everyone. No one knew about this. I talked to Ed Rapepi, the tour manager there, and he said that only three people knew about this. And when they came out, there was not a dry eye wow. in that place. I mean, it was it was very moving. But man, they did a great job. Not only the concerts, but the fundraising as well. They had all these different live auctions and then they had you know, certainly silent auctions as well. And they raised a lot of lot of dollars. I had the opportunity to talk to Ed earlier this week, and he told me that this is something they're looking to do in the future. But uh, they raised enough money that he thinks that they're going to be able to have the purchase of five dogs instead of four. Wow. So that's got to tell you how well this concert went. But hands yeah. off to everybody. So nice that you and I could be a part of this as a, as a sponsorship situation for the concert. And it was it was just awesome. It's something I'll never forget. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Uh, hats off to them for turning, uh, obviously, a tragic situation, uh, taking nothing away from that, but uh, making something uh, positive come out of it, certainly. Now, next week on the show, we're going to have a we lot of stuff. Keep, keep people guessing, man. Yes. That's where we're at. We have we a lot of this stuff. week. Yep. Yep. So, uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll wait and see. See what... Uh, transpires maybe the indians will get a hit by then 
We love to get no hit. Yeah. This is the year. Three times. No hit. Unreal. Tom Hamilton was commenting the other night. Uh, wow. They, they, these pitchers, the Indians are fair. These are really great pitchers that are no hitting them. I thinking no, Tom, <laughs> try it the other way around. But you know, Tom, Tom's Tom's check is signed by the Indians. So you can't really get a tread lightly there, I guess. That's exactly right. By the That's way, right. I think we can cross the Indians off the list. They probably won't be. No, I don't think they're coming out along with the Cavs. Oh. I think they're off too. So, oh, well. All right. That's well, uh, have a tremendous week, sir. Ted, you as well. And just want to make sure everyone knows that we're just two middle-aged men from Cleveland. Two middle-aged men in Cleveland is sponsored by anchor.fm. Everything you need to make a podcast in one place and by Westminster AV, custom audio visual packages for all occasions.